Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And today we're talking about horror tabletop role-playing games. Because, well, this episode's going to come out on Halloween, so we have to be as spooky as possible. Yep. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. And joining me today from a spooky site... Uh, from the spooky depths of Area 51... Uh, my name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. I don't think I have any particularly spooky pronoun joke for this week. Uh, I mean, there's the classic, my pronouns are boo and yikes, but, you know. That I, one I That one works. I don't like it quite as much as may and ham. May and ham is good, yeah. But I used that one last week, so. Yes. Um, my pronouns are the scariest, he and him. Or I guess if we're talking about horror, uh, that's going to include vampires, which are dead. So in this case, I will also accept were and was. That works. Yes. Joke complete. I mean, I guess they, them also works because that is, you know, the other and the unknowable. Unknowable spookiness. Yeah. So... Before we get into horror RPGs, we have a segment on this podcast called The Weekend Hobby. I'll go first. Uh, this last week, I had one of my two D&D games. They uh, made it to the to a small village in the Eldine Reaches, which is a country run by druids. They met with an old druid lady who made them do some chores around her house before she would tell them the information and like let them go to where they needed to go, uh, which is the Old Grove, which is a... Small little area bounded by a giant wall of thorns, and inside is a little endless winter, presumably caused by the magical object that they seek. Uh, in there, they met some wolves, and using various speak-with-animals spells, talked their way out of having to fight the wolves, which is good for them, because the wolves would have fucked them up. Uh, a lot of cold attacks that they don't have any resistance to. Um and also some other things. There were a lot of wolves. Uh, and then they dealt with some uh, remoras, which are the, like, ice monster insect things that are immune to both heat and cold damage, which was hilarious when they tried to fireball them. <laughs> Just did not work. Flat out, no damage, which was pretty funny. Um, also, the barbarian got swallowed whole by one of them. Burn. Uh the rest of the party killed it before he could chestburster his way out, which is kind of sad because I wanted him to chestburster his way out. He totally could have pulled that off. Um, he does substantially more damage than would have been required for that if he had managed the attack rolls, which he would have. He's good at that. Yeah, that would have been pretty funny. Uh, yeah, and then they managed to get to the crystal that they were looking for, and that's where the session ended. Uh, my other group was defeated by the most dangerous enemy of any D&D group, and Man. that is scheduling. Boo. And I meant to do some painting, but I haven't. I did buy a toy on clearance and prime it up to uh, become a like air defense platform terrain piece but uh i'll have pictures of that eventually once i get some more paint on it because you know it was a halo toy and was in halo bright toy colors 
and I want it to be, you know, military camo and stuff. Huzzah. Uh, and that's been my week in hobby. <coughs> Ed, you get anything done this week? Uh, nope. Uh, I've been traveling a lot for work uh, this last week, so the couple days that I actually did have, <coughs> excuse me, uh, open time for painting, I was just too tired and sore to actually do any painting. Um, the only real hobby thing I guess you could say that I did was I got some new figures for Blood Bowl and after the fact found out that they were uh, being produced by a Ukrainian recasting company. So uh, if you're on the lookout for miniatures, just beware of who you are buying from. I just happened to type in the miniatures that I was looking for. And this was the first company that popped up and I was like, oh, sweet. And then later on, uh, found out that they were a recasting company. But I mean, if a certain company wanted my money, uh, they wouldn't have taken these figures out of print. So yay for piracy. Um, Slava Ukraini. Yeah, yay for supporting Ukrainian companies. Uh, they just recently had to relocate their uh, entire workshop. Um, and I guess yay for piracy because companies shouldn't own intellectual property because I can guarantee you that the company that produced these miniatures originally uh, doesn't give any credit to the original sculptor. Um, that is accurate, yes. Yeah. So... Intellectual property should be owned by individuals, not companies. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like I'm going to be taking these to a certain game store and like running them in competitions or tournaments. Nobody, nobody's going to care. Yeah, this company gets more than enough of my money anyway. <laughs> yes. Um. So that's been the weekend hobby. So horror RPGs, spooky or TTRPGs, whatever the horror games. Horror RPGs have been around for a long time because, well, telling scary stories is cool and tabletop role-playing games are a tool for group storytelling. <laughs> Mass insanity, that's what uh, tabletop RPGs are. I mean, I would say it's more like a collective insanity, but yeah, sure. Collective hallucination, that's the other one that I've, uh, that I've heard used. Yes. Um, in terms of gamism, narrativism, and simulationism, uh, see our very first episode, published approximately a year ago. Huzzah! Uh, the vast majority of horror RPGs focus on narrativism. Usually with some sort of gamist element that promotes this narrative, this narrative element stronger. Um, we'll talk about that for some of the indie games. There are a couple of them that use really interesting, highly specific mechanics, uh, and that doing so is really cool. Ed, have you, do you, what's your personal experience with horror tabletop games? Have you played any horror TTRPG sessions? Um, nothing horror specifically. Um, I, probably closest would be just like spooky elements in D&D would be my guess but right. we'll talk a little about those yeah um i at least growing up i was kind of like always the weird like neon goth outlier of the group who was the only one that was really interested in playing uh certain spooky rpgs but was also never together enough to actually get people interested in running a game 
Yeah. Um, I have actually played a horror one-shot. Um, it was on Halloween, and it was based off The Thing, or John Carpenter's The Thing. Nice. That sounds awesome. Where we were a team of people sent to, like, investigate a ship off the coast of Antarctica that... I think the story went that it had picked up somebody from one of the bases in the thing that, you know, was infected and that something had gone horribly wrong. So we were a team that arrived via helicopter onto this abandoned ship that was, like, drifting somewhere off the coast of Antarctica, and we had to explore it. And each... It was a D20 system, just real loose, because it wasn't, like, specific for anything. It was D20 rolls, here are your basic stats, here's your basic equipment, and everybody had a secret. Like, one player was an alcoholic, one player was uh, addicted to morphine, so on and so forth. Um, And after a certain point, it was revealed, not really revealed, like, everybody got a note, and one of them said... You have been infected, and you are now a thing. And oh, your goal no. is to infect all the other players. I was the one who got the note saying that <laughs> I was a thing. Nice. I proceeded to convince people that we needed to split up to search the ship, got other people alone, infected them, uh, did a bunch of stuff. Uh, there was a bit where one person was like, freaking out and trying to take off in the helicopter and I like threw something at them to try and get the monster that was attacking them off and like slipped the dungeon master a note saying hey I'm actually trying to like destroy the helicopter with this uh and then I rolled a natural 20 and he's like oh yeah no it perfectly hits the thing and breaks and shatters and splashes all over them and ignites the fuel tanks and it goes up in a giant explosion and I'm like oh no what have I done (laughs) while being incredibly happy at burning alive one of the other players um that one went really well uh that game was you know that game was a lot of fun it was less uh, i mean it was horror but it was also john carpenter's the thing so there was sort of some actiony elements to it Mm -hmm. um and it worked really well and was done in just sort of generic d20 system Uh, i i don't think there was even a book for it. The dungeon master or the game master had just put this together based on experience. I mean, that is the essence of RPG games. Just get together and tell a story. Except essentially. Yes. You're going back to uh, the roots. You just need a campfire. I mean, we were playing in a darkened basement, so we were pretty close. Um, and also it used pre-made characters. So, you know, you, you kind of played what you had. Uh, which makes sense for something like that, where it's about, where you don't know as much about what's going on as you might in others. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk about specific role-playing games here. Uh, there's two kind of categories, which is the major games and the indie games. And while the divide between them is pretty loose these days, the major games are ones that have large published books and maybe a history of published books, and you can probably find at a normal bookstore. Yeah. Um, and the indie games, you're going to have to go to a game store or buy PDFs online or something like that. So we've got three big games and five indie games, and this is not an exhaustive list. There are dozens, maybe even hundreds of indie horror games out there and we can't talk about all of them so we're just going to talk about five that i think are specifically interesting 
that do something cool and that, uh, you know, each one covers a slightly different style of playing a horror game. But the three big ones. First of all, Call of Cthulhu. We talked about it in our Cosmic Horror and Tabletop Games episode, but Call of Cthulhu is kind of the granddaddy of horror RPGs. It's one of the first specific horror games ever made. Uh, it had a the sanity mechanic where, you know, there's sort of a mechanical... Your characters are, have a chance of going insane and getting defeated, not just by fighting, but by the things that they encounter. Um, the foes being not things that you can always fight, but sometimes you just have to flee or avoid or banish them. And the sense of overwhelming alienation are key components of a game that, you know, can be done for horror. Although it is kind of specific to cosmic horror. I got a plus one boat against Cthulhu. Let's do it. Yes. As we all know, boats versus Cthulhu is how you win. Um, I, I would make some point about the ultimate Cthulhu defeating weapon being the HMS Thunderchild, because we know that that one is extra good against aliens and Cthulhu is not from Earth. So cool. Yeah. HMS Thunderchild was the one in War of the Worlds mm. that uh, shoots several of the aliens and then rams another one. It's been a while since I've read War of the Worlds. HMS Thunderchild is kind of a... Basically, it's depicted as being a super badass and that it can take on multiple alien attack things. So, what would it do against Cthulhu? It would fuck him up, obviously. <laughs> um... Because he got beaten up by, like, a fishing boat. So what what happens when you bring a British, like, combat ship that has a history of blowing up aliens? Well, he would not come back for a while. He'd go back to sleep. Sleep uh, now. <laughs> the next horror game is not, strictly speaking, a horror game. It's Dungeons & Dragons. We've talked extensively about Dungeons & Dragons. And while it's not a horror game, you can run horror campaigns or horror one-shots using it. And it's helpful because it's one of the most popular games. I'm sorry, it's the most popular role-playing game. And people are familiar with it, and you can do things to make it work more horror-y. Uh, the Ravenloft setting, go listen to our episode about it, is entirely designed for horror stories in different styles. Uh, primarily gothic horror, but also there's some folk horror, there's some body horror, there's a few other elements. And the Ravenloft setting book comes with some good advice for running horror in Dungeons & Dragons. How you can, you know, build that sense of tension, that sense of otherness to it. Uh, there's also some optional rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide to make games fit more into the horror genre. Uh, there's some sanity rules... There's some stuff for sort of slower healing that I would highly recommend, where uh, short rests take a day and long rests take a week. Um, Sounds good. Which make, makes the game feel less heroic. It makes it more drawn out when you get wounded by a monster. You you can't just, like, spend an hour to patch yourself up. You gotta keep going on with those wounds that, you've accomplished, that you have, um, unless you've got magic to heal yourself. Uh, it, it adds a lot to the game. It, it, it makes it less gamey and more of a, like, there's more tension to it. You're not going to get out of it by taking an hour and feeling better. 
And then the last of the big ones is Vampire the Masquerade and the whole World of Darkness. I think they're calling it Chronicles of Darkness now. Hmm. But it it's a big setting. Um, it will probably end up doing an entire episode about this system. Uh, it was built by White Wolf Publishing. Uh, it's Vampire the Masquerade and its various spinoffs are modern fantasy games. Mostly they're focused on playing as the monsters. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade in particular is about playing as different types of vampires in the modern world. Uh, it's kind of 90s in that sense. Uh, interview with the Vampire-esque and Rice books. Um, it's good for telling stories about the darkness that lurks on the edge of modern society. Uh, Ed, you know a bit about this one. Yeah, for the most part, the White Wolf games, like you said, they are played from the point of view of the otherworldly being. So you have Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Um, there's a whole bunch of others. There's one where you play as like a Mage monk. the Awakening. Yeah, Mage the Awakening. That one's interesting because it's... Um, you're not like actually like a wizard. You are just somebody who can see like the quantum structure of the universe and is able to manipulate it to create desired outcomes, kind of like the the sciency magic that they did for the MCU version of Doctor Strange. Uh Hunter the Reckoning. Yeah, Hunter the Reckoning, that was my first entry into the World of Darkness stuff. Um that one just got a new edition, which has been really well received. Um <clears throat> that one you're playing as the Monster Hunters specifically. Um, there's a whole bunch of really niche ones. There's one called Revenant, where you're playing as a ghost. Uh, Changeling, where you are some type of fae. Um, there's a whole bunch it, of them. It's worth noting that they always are X the X. Yeah. Promethean the Created, Changeling the Lost, Mummy the Curse, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, pretty much any kind of, like, horror monster or horror trope. Uh, that's out there is available for playing. Um, the biggest difference in the White Wolf games is that the they're not super crunchy. Uh, the rule system is pretty open to interpretation. Um, like I said, narrativism. Yeah, it's it's more focused on the story and a lot of like intrigue and politics and the particular story that your character is trying to tell or interact in as opposed to we're going to i don't know fight the other group of bad vampires um and it is for worth noting here just a side note we say that it's a white wolf game but white wolf publishing hasn't been around for like a decade or more really? uh, the games are currently published by paradox interactive huh i knew that paradox was making uh the computer games, but I didn't know that they were also now publishing the, uh, the tabletop games. Uh, they bought the full license in 2015. Interesting. Like, they, they bought the entire intellectual property. Well, that's cool. Uh, they need to clean up their corporate culture so that they are less abusive and exploitative of their workers. But other than that, well, yes, they're that's my... <laughs> true for just about every video game company. So other than that, they're my favorite video game publisher. <laughs> um, but yeah, growing up as somebody who got their start in RPGs with D&D, &D, the looseness of the system and the focus on 
I guess, improv or ad lib for lack of a better term, always kind of threw me for a loop because I'm like, uh, it's it's this is how you fight. But I'm like, there's not enough numbers. I don't know how we how we play this out without all the numbers to help us through. By now, with having done fifth edition and just being smarter because small kids are dumb, uh, I feel like it'd probably be a better time all around. Yeah. And that's the big ones. There's also been a bunch of controversy regarding Paradox Interactive and stuff with that. But that's for, you know, discussions when we do a World of Darkness specific episode. The true, world of, the true world of darkness is working in the gaming industry. Yeah, actually, that's, that's <laughs> about accurate. So now we're, let's get into indie games, which is really, I think, the meat of this episode. Because there are a bunch of these, and I've got a list of five. Uh, five really interesting ones. Most of these are kind of focused on a single genre of horror. And... Even more so than the ones we've talked about, they are focused a lot on story and tone rather than mechanics. Um, they w tend to have one or two really interesting core mechanics, um, and then the rest is about story and tone, which makes them really cool. Uh, some of them are, I would say, amazing one-shot games um, rather than campaigns. And a couple of them can be done for campaigns. But uh, really, if you're going to run a horror one-shot for Halloween or for some other reason, one of these is probably your best bet. Um, and, you know, it depends on what kind of what kind of story you want to tell and what level of commitment you've got from your players and what sort of thing you can do with that. So the first one is Dread. Originally published in 2006, Dread is a horror game that does not use dice. Uh, there are a couple of games on here that use less dice. Instead of dice, Dread uses a Jenga tower. Huh. When players attempt any, make anything that you'd normally do a dice roll for, any action that has a chance, a danger of failing, they have to do Jenga. They have to pull a block out of the tower and set it on the top. Uh, this provides an element of, like, physical action and tension, uh, especially as the game goes on and the tower gets more and more precarious and, you know, ups the psychological stress of the game. Uh, when the tower collapses, the player who caused the collapse, the player who was doing an action, it, their character is killed, removed from the game somehow, whether it be fleeing in terror, killed by the monster, possessed by an evil spirit, imprisoned, whatever. You are out of the game when you cause the tower to collapse. Uh, the exact nature of that is based on the story you're telling and the person running the game. Uh, the game master, known as the host in this game, uh, tells a specific story, which can be suspenseful, supernatural, mad, moral, mysterious, or gory. The rulebook has a guide for doing each of these different types of stories. So you can do, like, a supernatural one, you can do madness you can do a mystery so on and so forth you can do gory which i assume is like a slasher movie um you build your characters by answering a questionnaire provided by the host that sort of ask questions about who they are what secrets they have what their dreams and fears are um and then the answers to this are revealed during the game 
rather than being immediately shared with the other players. Uh, I think Dread is a very cool game. It has that, like, the element of doing the Jenga Tower to see when you're going to fail really builds tension. As somebody um, who's played a lot of Jenga, yeah, that that tension is real. Yeah, so you're going to get the tension, and because there's a physical element to it, it's not like... There is a really interesting concept there. It won some awards for this. Um, the one downside is that it is nearly impossible to play online. Yeah. You could theoretically do it through Tabletop Simulator, but it's not going to have that same level of tension, you know, doing that with a Zoom call. Just doesn't work. Um, and the host would have to make sure that no one can flip the table and cause the thing <laughs> to fall. Uh, so I think it's cool. I think it makes a great one-shot because you, you have the physical tower that's being built and players getting murdered and taken off screen. Um, it, it It's not one of those... Some of these games are like tragic horror in which at the end of it, whoever, like no one survives. This is not one of those. Dread, you can you can defeat the monster in Dread. You just have to be uh, careful, and you're probably going to lose somebody when one of those, when your Jenga tower falls down. But Dread, interesting concept, cool mechanic. You can get the rulebook online for $12 for a PDF. Cool game. Yeah, boy. Uh, the next one is Monster of the Week. Cool. This is a Powered by the Apocalypse system. It is uh, urban fantasy horror, sort of used for like a Buffy, Supernatural, X-Files style of game. Uh, the basic mechanic is a 2d6 roll with various character archetypes uh, known as playbooks that contain core attributes and special abilities. And you play as perhaps the investigator or the... Um, like, you just play archetypes of these sorts of settings. Um, I think it's the, the investigator, the supernatural, the so on and so forth. Um, it can really, it can mean a more lighthearted horror game because you're going to have a chance at fighting back against the monsters. And it's really well suited for uh, campaign play because you can do a sequence, like you, each session can be fighting a monster. It's called Monster of the Week. <laughs> um, it's designed for campaign play where you sort of tell an overarching story as the characters fight a different monster every week. Um, I have a friend who was running a game of this. They, you know, their players were, you know, working around a small town in Michigan fighting weird you know, folklore monsters that came out. So they dealt with a Wendigo. They dealt with a... I think there was an apartment building that was possessed by a demon. You know, they're just dealing with weird stuff. Um, weird demons with Midwestern accents. Yeah. Um, powered by the Apocalypse games do tend to focus on narrative elements. Um, there's a lot of describing what happens when you do a thing. Uh, there's a lot of giving the players the tools to do stuff and describe their own actions. And the 2d6 system it uses has sort of a degrees of success and failure. Uh, you roll 2d6, you add your related attribute, 
And if you get above a certain thing, you succeed totally. If you get within a certain range, you succeed, but there is a drawback that um, pushes stuff forward for the game master. And if you roll below a certain amount, usually I think it's like seven or less, you just fail and take and there's consequences for what you tried to do. Um, you can definitely get killed in it, but usually the nature of the like deadly consequence is up to the player. They can take like permanent injuries rather than being killed, um, like permanent reductions and stuff. And it, it's hard to outright kill someone in a powered by the apocalypse system, but it is easy to substantially harm a character, mm-hmm. which. I like it. gives a lot more narrative agency to the players. Narrative agency, always good. Yes. Now, the next game on this list, it is not easy to... The next game on this list is Ten Candles, which is another game that has mechanics that don't solely rely on dice, although there are dice. It's also a game that is explicitly designed around one-shots, and that is all about characters dying. It's a tragic horror game. You're going to die. It's tragic horror rather than survival horror for one reason. At the end of the game, all the players die. Boo. Uh, It's a game that has an amazing concept and an amazing atmosphere. You play at a table lit by ten candles, and as the game progresses and scenes end... The candles go out. Um, Characters have traits, a vice, a virtue, a goal they want to achieve, and then like a hidden trait when they're pushed to their ultimate breaking point. And as you go through the game, you use these and lose them. And you do that by burning them, like literally burning them using the candles. Uh, You can use them to re-roll dice, and when you do, you no longer have that available. And when you've used your last one, you're dead. You're out of the game. Um, Typically, it's the the core story that the game sort of starts with, and there are some expansions to do different stories, is that there is some sort of implacable approaching darkness that is consuming everything. And you're just a group of survivors doing your last desperate stand to try and you know, unite with your loved ones before the end of the world, or you're, you know, on a spaceship that's plunging into the atmosphere and you're trying to, like, send out a last message as everything falls apart around you. Um, It is incredibly atmospheric and really, like, a really cool one-shot. All the systems in it are based around stuff getting harder and harder as the game goes on and pushing you to to the point at which your characters are you know sacrifice themselves to the point of madness yeah to the point of madness to the point of you know just the end of everything sounds Um, depressing it i think it's a little depressing yeah but it's also incredibly thematic and really something I would want to play at some point just because I really like the concept of having a physical like physical candles on the table that you use and burn your characters as the game ends mm-hmm. um, that action is pretty in- 
is very intense. I think it's got some really intense psychological elements that could be uh, that would be a lot of fun to, to use. It's intense, like camping. Yes, in fact, it would be great for camping, honestly, because <laughs> um, you'd have a like a fire going as well, and that providing the backlight while you've got the, your little candles on the table. Um, the next one is Morkborg. Morkborg is a game of apocalyptic fantasy inspired by heavy metal. Um, yeah. You know a lot about Morkborg. Ed, you own this book. Yep, I do. I bought it solely uh, for the art style, which looks like something that a 12-year-old would scribble on the inside of their uh, textbooks. Um, like you said, it's all inspired by heavy metal, specifically uh, Norwegian black metal. And the idea is that basically there's like a prophecy and the world is ending and your characters are caught up in that end of the world somehow. And you're trying to prevent said prophecy from happening, but because it's a prophecy, uh, you really can't stop it. And characters are often physically or mentally damaged in some way. Um, when you roll up your characters, there's usually some kind of disability that they will have to overcome or deal with. Um, and then at various points in the game, usually like as days progress, the game master will roll a die to see what happens in terms of the prophecy and how that impacts the world. And uh, there's a die roll where the world just straight up ends. You guys did not accomplish your goal. Sorry, Ragnarok is here. Um, the only real criticism I have of Morkborg is that because they have their very fancy uh, heavy metal art style is that the book is very hard to read. Um, they did come out with a, a reader-friendly version that you can get. I think it's a pay-what-you-want PDF from Drive Through RPG, I think. And it just writes everything out in plain text. They get rid of like all the artsy scribble type writing that they have so that players can actually read it. Um, it's very light on like lore, story, background. There's vague inferences of things that have happened and why the apocalypse is happening and why you're in this weird fantasy Sweden um, it's very Dark Souls, so if you're like me and loves Dark Souls, um, it's a good one to choose. Um, as far as a campaign, uh, it's probably better suited to, like, a very short campaign or one-shot, you know, you guys are going through this dungeon to see what kind of madness it contains. Uh, there's a fair... I would say... It, it has enough about, like, character growth that it could be done as a campaign. It and Monster of the Week are the only ones on here that I would think you think of running in as a campaign. Yeah, there's... Um, you just kind of ignore the apocalyptic die roll unless you've reached a story point at which that makes sense. Yeah, and similar to Dark Souls, it's like as your characters go, they just become more and more insane as they are impacted by what's happened in the game until eventually you just are a, a shell of a human being. Um, there's quite a bit of 
both third party and official content out there for it. Um, at our local game store, they have a shelf of like indie RPGs and you can get Morkborg, uh, I guess, adventures. They're just in little like stapled paperback booklets. Um, there is a war game version of it called, I think, Forbidden Psalm, which is like a weird World War One if the Morkborg universe advanced into the early 20th century. No, no, no. That's a uh, turn of 28. Hmm. Forbidden Psalm is just straight up fantasy. Oh, I thought it I thought it was a, a World War One thing. I don't know why no, I thought that. Forbidden Psalm is just a straight up fantasy skirmish game with a series of um, the notion is that you are being tasked by a mad wizard to do a series of tasks, to do a series of fetch quests for him, essentially. Um, and that he is seeking the Forbidden Psalm, which you can use to either stop the end of the world or escape to a different world that's not about to collapse. Got it. Um, and, you know, you, you roll up your weird little collection of fantasy heroes to try and go solve these things and get this item for the wizard so that he will help he will let you go with him uh turnip 28 is the world <laughs> war one apocalyptic one you're thinking of and it's not related to morkborg it's just apocalyptic world war one with weird magic shit got it yeah morkborg that's it's one that i want to run but i feel like it needs to happen in person because all of like the maps and everything i feel like i need to hastily scrawl on graph paper with a pen yeah i just feel like the, the just the vibe would be off playing it online plus uh i wouldn't be able to blast black metal over a speaker and subject you guys to that yeah uh, to be honest i think most horror rpgs are best run in person there is one that i guess we can talk about a little um that is I, I have to find it again. There's one that is specifically designed for playing online. Um, it's set up... The concept is that it's a Zoom call. Mm. Um, as you're all in different rooms on, like, a spaceship or a base or something, and you all have to do your stuff separately. Mm -hmm. And you have to stay in character on the call the whole time. Interesting. I can see, I can see how that works, because I've seen... Uh, there have been a couple of horror movies... Um, that have come out recently that are like depicted over Zoom calls. View Scream. Cool name. Is the name of it. And yeah, it's it's predicated on everybody's on a Zoom call. You're all in different rooms. Um, it's usually only about one hour to one and a half hour, and it tends to be more science fictiony. Just because you need the the screen setting, we are on a um, crystal ball Zoom call. Yeah, yeah. The the big catch is that you can't physically meet any of the other characters. You're always in character on the call. You you can only use the chat box to do out of character things. Mm -hmm. um, and the dungeon master, uh, the game master, is the bridge. You know, they're the one like trying to organize stuff as everyone tries to. Uh, get things going. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently they have an audio-only version where you're ghost hunters oh, trapped in cool. a house with an evil spirit. You just turn the cameras off, I guess. Um, it's entirely designed to be played online, which is kind of an interesting concept. I dig it. 
Uh, but that's not the last one I wanted to talk about. The last one I wanted to talk about is Don't Rest Your Head. I rest where I please. Uh, Don't Rest Your Head is a game... It's a... Um, supernatural horror. It's very much focused on supernatural horror. You are insomniacs who literally can't sleep. You have awoken and now can see the horrible monsters and nightmares that stalk the waking world. Uh, this awakening has given your character special powers, but also, you know, notified the monstrosities that you're around, and now they're trying to hunt you down. Uh, mechanically, the game is built around various dice pools representing different resources. Uh, the players have discipline, exhaustion, and madness. And you can do some things in the mechanics to, like, increase or decrease these roles. Um increase or decrease these dice pools, but there's a cost to it because if you get your exhaustion too high, you fall asleep, essentially. And that makes you an easy target for the monsters and the nightmares. Oops. Um, and the dungeon master also has a... The game master also has a dice pool, and it's just called pain. <laughs> and you roll all of these dice pools at once, and whichever one is the most successful sort of colors the nature of... What happens? Like, if you roll all your things and madness is the one that comes out on top, you've succeeded, but doing so, but you've done so in sort of a mad way. Um, the game is really set up for supernatural horror because you've got kind of magical superpowers. The monsters coming after you are beings from nightmares or whatever. Uh, there's a pre built setting called the Mad City, um, but you could easily adapt it into other settings uh a dark fairy court uh mad necromancer's castle some sort of twisted lovecraftian dreamscape not hard at all uh the mechanics are quite solid um there's also a sort of points thing uh that you can use for despair and hope that sort of bounces back and forth between the players and the game master that uh, can be flipped one way or the other and sort of spent as a resource. Um, clearly, it's not a game like some of the others that is apocalyptic and the world will end and you'll all die. It's You can survive. You can get out of this horror element. Um, but it's going to not be great. You're going to suffer for it. You can get out, but it's going to cost you. Exactly. I mean, it's a, a horror game, so that's kind of the the point and it's not going to be a pleasant experience it's called don't rest your head and the dungeon master has a dice pool called pain not going to be great but i'm so sleepy um but it has a strong mechanical element and it has a cool some cool narrative elements and i would think it would be fun to run like a fairy court campaign for it um again you probably want to run it in person because it's about reactions to this sort of stuff um, unlike some of the others, it really requires a little more prep. Uh, Monster of the Week, Don't Rest Your Head, and Morkborg all require a certain amount of prep. Um, because whoever's running the game needs to have the story that they're going to tell sorted out. Uh, Ten Candles and Dread being very focused on one-shots and very focused on a sort of core mechanic... And an interaction between players and a story and building that story to collectively don't require much prep at all. Um, in fact, Ten Candles can be done 
essentially all you have to do is like write down some a uh, handful of notes before time and buy candles um i guess you also need to have a bunch of d6s yeah and then probably. you know and then you're good to go uh dread you you want to have like what the story is like what sort of story you're telling and the questionnaire for each of the players to create their character and that's all you need well i mean and a jenga tower You'll have to source a Jenga tower somewhere. <laughs> well, you're going like, to need a tree. I mean, you're going to need some wood. Yeah. Um, you could also, like, spray paint a Jenga tower black. or That'd be cool. Get, get some, like, apply some sort of Eldritch runes to it if you're doing a Lovecraftian game or something. You know, you could do things to, to uh, theme it up a little if you really wanted to. I can dig it. Yeah. Um actually spray painting it black and then like adding icons to it would be fun if you were doing like a vampire game as well you know you mm -hmm. add stuff like that to just spice it up so yeah horror rpgs Woo! there are a bunch of them they are there are some with really interesting mechanics and really interesting uh options if you want to play a one shot if you want to delve into something different and i would recommend pretty much any of these indie games as something that you could take a group that primarily does dungeons and dragons that wants to try something different for a, like one weekend and and do that um one shots are honestly probably the easiest way to get people into a new game and to get them out of just doing dungeons and dragons um and is what I would use to lead with if you have a group that has only done Dungeons and Dragons and you want to try and expand the repertoire of things that they have and things that you can do for them. Yeah, boy. Is to do a one-shot of some highly specific system that is more thematic than anything else. And I think that's what Dread and Can Ten Candles are really good at. Um, Monster of the Week is great if you want a more rules-light pulp adventures um horror morkborg is highly thematic if you want some apocalyptic fantasy don't rest your head does supernatural fantasy in a really interesting way call of cthulhu and vampire the masquerade are just well known and you can probably find people who are interested in playing them on their own more than likely and um yeah horror rpgs there are a ton of them out there and if you have others that you think we should talk about let us know in the comments or on the bird site or um however send us a bat carrying a message but we have a segment on this podcast called board game corner and now ed is going to tell us about a super spooky board game Woo! super spooky uh yeah i can't i can't think of any pithy intro for this one so uh, fittingly, uh, for weird, hopeless RPGs, uh, we have a card game called Gloom from 2005, designed by Keith Baker, uh, local, local game designer and designer of Eberron. Woo! Uh, this, I think, was one of his intros into the game industry. 
this was pre Eberron, as far as I can remember, or at least close by. Very similar time frame. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is that each player is playing as a family of weird, creepy, vaguely Adam's family monster ish characters. And you want to have the most depressing and uh, gloom-inspiring family history that you can. So each player has five family members, and each turn uh, you get to play two different actions, uh, one of which can be an untimely death on the character, which is how you score characters when they're dead, they get scored. Or you can play like modifiers and actions that are supposed to negatively impact the character's self-worth. So if you play an action that makes them feel bad about themselves, you want to play that on your characters while playing good and happy events on your opponent's characters uh, to make them feel better about themselves. And when you've either got like a very negative score on one character, that's when you would play your uh, untimely death. Or if you have a character on your opponent's side who is very happy and well-contented with their life, uh, you can play an untimely death on them so that your opponent loses points when it comes time to scoring. And then once uh, one player has all of their family members dead, the game ends and you score it up and whoever has the lowest score wins. Uh, the gameplay is actually pretty simple. Um, the, I think the presentation and the art style are what drew me to the game most. The game uses transparent plastic cards, so when you play modifiers, uh, they fit over the little portrait frames that the characters have, and uh, some of them can, like, cover up other modifiers. So, you know, say you have a negative modifier on an opponent's character. Um, if you play a specific card, it may have a little dot on there that just blanks out that negative modifier and whatever is showing up on the face of the card when they die, that's, you know, that's the score that they get. Um, it also has a very sketchy, creepy art style, very similar to Edward Gorey, who did the um, animated intro sequence for PBS Mystery, if you're familiar at all with that. Um, just look up the name and you'll see the art and then look at Gloom, and it is very much inspired by his artwork. Um, yes, I'm well familiar with Edward Gorey. Yep. Yep, so it's a fun, fast game. Uh, they put a lot of emphasis on, like, trying to play up, you know, create creating the story around your characters. Like, the last game that I played, um, the game ended because my character, who was a creepy skull clown, uh, was pursued by poodles and got eaten. And that was literally the name of the event, Pursued by Poodles. Um, so it has a very dark sense of humor. Um, might want to get some clear uh, uh, card cases for it, because the plastic cards, they can get scratched up, which you can make things harder to see or a little bit cloudy, and they don't shuffle super well. Uh, so those might help out. But other than that, if you want a cheap and relatively easy-to-play game, Gloom is a good one. There's a ton of expansions and spinoffs, it's one of those games where the core concept is so simple that they just produce content for it unendingly. Yay, Gloom. Woo! And that's our show. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, feedback, tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, tell your mom to listen. Um, tell Elon Musk to listen to it. 
tell Elon Musk to fuck off to Mars. Yeah, do that. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, follow us on the Bird website. We are at Knoll Country. Follow us on Instagram, the Facebook website. God damn it. How, how come all of the things that you can follow us on are owned by weird, creepy billionaires? Because we live in the worst dystopia. We don't even get a cool dystopia. Uh, yeah, where where's my cool dystopia? Um, as as William Gibson said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Yeah. Um, and probably never will be because that's billionaires for you. When do I get my hot swappable genders? When do I get my hoverboard and not the dumb one with wheels? <laughs> hey man, hoverboards are cool. <laughs> No, no, they're not. They're really, really dumb. Um, but yes, uh, and as always, do the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Oh, you can follow me on Instagram at Animadness. Uh, I haven't been there for a little bit just because I'm not doing any hobby stuff because work. Um, go ahead and donate to your Red Crosses to help the people in other places that are having a much worse time than us. Uh, Their dystopia is not even fun. No. Uh, donate to your reproductive justice and uh, queer charities, uh, especially in Florida, now that gender-affirming healthcare is illegal in Florida. Uh, Got to get those people out if uh, they need help to leave. Uh, vote. I say we cut Florida off and just let it sink into the ocean. Yeah, we need, we, we'll have to find Bugs Bunny to do that. Uh, go ahead and vote in the midterms. That's coming from an anarchist who doesn't particularly like our system of government. Uh, vote as hard as you can, uh, lest they try and make it just so that you can't vote. Uh, stand your ground against any fascist chuds who tell you that you can't vote. Um, fuck up your local Nazi. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, that it, Do that in Minecraft for that last one. I've yet to come across any Nazis in Minecraft, but I don't play Minecraft online. Which, yeah. that's probably the reason I don't play Minecraft online. That or Fair enough. jerks just coming by to knock your stuff over. Yes. Don't play games online is what I'm, t what I'm, what I'm saying. <laughs> Unless you're playing I, RPGs. Yeah, I, I don't play multiplayer games online either, so I think we can do that. And as always... Go Knowles. Go Knowles. And happy Halloween. And yes. Mwah, ah, 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 ah. Trick or treat.